So we're going to just look on the screen to Ephesians, and then I'm going to ask you to turn to Colossians. And I'm really going to do a very pastoral teaching today on not just applying it to fathers, but to all of us, because we're all responsible for the things that I'm going to be teaching today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 28. Uh, how many of you have ever, let's take you back to grade school, how many of you have ever written a an essay or a paragraph, let's say. And so the first sentence in the paragraph is what? It's the topic sentence. Then you got three or four sentences of supporting sentences, and then you have the concluding statement. I, I want you to catch verse 21 is the topic sentence. Everything else supports what verse 21 is saying. Because this teaching, this ver- these little verses here get way out of balance for some people. Uh, verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Everybody say submit to one another. That is God's plan for marriage. Now, this is not a marriage seminar, so I won't take long. But if you ever ask me for marriage counseling, we're going here and we're going to teach on this. So let me just throw these little nuggets out. We are supposed to submit to one another. The husband submits to the wife. The wife submits to the husband. That's what this whole passage is about. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, there's a lot of deadbeat husbands out there that want to try to control and strong on their wives and say, here's what the Bible says. You submit to me, woman. And then women get upset, and rightfully so, because it's taken way out of context. For the husband is the head of the wife, no question about that, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Verse 24, watch what the Bible goes on to say. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And leave this up for a second, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, uh, we're supposed to submit ourselves to one another. Now, I don't mind telling you wives, I really don't feel sorry for you at all that you have to submit to your husbands according to the Bible. And you say, well, this is getting, we went from having fun and root beer and Slim Jims and now we're going to hit you, Pastor. Hang with me just a minute. I don't feel sorry for you because you get to submit, you choose who you submit to. But according to this word right here, you submit, but I die. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. Husbands, how are you supposed to live for your wives? You're supposed to die. Every marriage counseling I ever do, let me save you the trouble from coming to my office. Are you ready? Let me just help you with this. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert counselor. But let me just tell you, let me, let me tell you what the problem is right now. You ready? If you're having marital problems, the problem is, sir, you're not dying. Ma'am, you're not submitting. Period. I've never asked a wife yet, will you have any problem submitting if your husband's always dying for you? She says, no way. Sir, do you have a problem dying for your wife if she's always submitting? No way. Well, there's the problem. You're not dying. You're not submitting. You figure those two things out, you're going to have a great marriage. Amen? See, you didn't even have to come to the office. So, verse 27, 28. That he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Yet again, husbands, you're not to strong arm and make and force. You love as Jesus loves us. Amen? He who loves his own wife, what? Loves himself. Now, so that's that aspect. But let me go into Colossians chapter 3. Is it all right to learn what God's word really says? 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. If you have it in your Bibles, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says, husbands, here we go, love your wives and never treat them harshly. So I find it interesting. Again, I'm going to harp on it just one last time. Husbands who want to try to strong arm their wives in the church and say, you're supposed to submit. But how many verses have I now shown you? Three to one where it says we're supposed to love like Christ loved us. Never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents. All the parents in the house, can I get a great amen on that? For this what? You want to please the Lord? The Bible says obey your parents. All right. Fathers, here we go. Do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Amen. Yeah, my daughter's over here saying amen. No comments from the peanut gallery today, all right? On that note, we're going to pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this day. I thank you for Father's Day. I thank you for great fathers, for the ultimate Father in heaven who is kind, gentle, loving, and gracious. Lord, happy Father's Day to you, God. We love you. We ask, Father God, that you would just bless all of our fathers that are alive today. I, I pray they have wonderful days. I pray, God, that you would anoint me to speak forth your word in this very teaching, pastoral-type message today. I pray you would open our eyes to see what the truth of the word says. Open our ears to hear what the Spirit says. Lord, I pray teach us today, not just as parents, fathers, and mothers, but as people of God, the examples we're supposed to be. I, teach us today from your word. Anoint me to speak forth your word, not in word and tongue only, but also in power and in deed. And we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise for these things. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hold your Bibles up and let's boldly declare, Father, today, this week, by your grace, I'm going to be a doer of your word and not a hearer only. Deceiving my own self. Now, Lord, anoint my ears. Anoint my heart. Anoint my spirit, my soul, my mind, and my body to receive the truth of your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen, amen. Take a swig of root beer and high five somebody. The story is told of a vacationing family, and the father was driving, and they ran across the road, and there was a sign that said, road closed, do not enter. Well, the father thought he knew best, so he decided to go around the sign and just keep going. Much to the chagrin and rejection of his wife saying, this is not a good idea, this is not a good idea, he was full steam ahead. After a few miles of no problems, he was feeling really good about himself and his gift of discernment and his... Uh, his knowing best and all of his pride turned to red-faced shame and humiliation as he came to the road that was completely washed out. Turning around, he drove right back the same way, came to the original sign that had said, road closed, do not enter. And on the back sign, it said, welcome back, stupid. <laughs> A school teacher was correcting papers. She came across this one little boy's paper, and she was appalled at the amount of mistakes. She called the little boy to the front, and she said, I don't understand how one person can make so many mistakes on one paper. The little boy innocently looked up, and he said, but it wasn't just one person. My dad helped, too. <laughs> 
Americans everywhere this time of year are paying special tribute to their dads through gifts and cards and so forth. But it may be good for us to ask, what is really the function of a biblical father? What does, we know what society says, we know what people think, psychologists, but what does the Bible say? What are we supposed to do as fathers? Is it simply to provide for the family? I mean, 1 Timothy 5, 8 does says, for those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. So God basically says, if you won't even take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So we know that that's important, but I want to tell you that's not the most important function of a father. The father is to be the head of the home. Now, again, I know that's going to draw some iron, some fire from some wives who help bring home the bacon, and I'm not disputing that. But what I am saying is, is that the Bible says that the husband, the father, is the head of the home. Now, I know that, that, that in this day and age, it may come across like a joke, or it may draw some fire and some anger from some women, but I can't help what the Bible says. Amen? Do we want to know what the Bible says this morning? Okay. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this, and if you've been reading uh, the Bible, if you've been doing the Bible challenge, you, you've read this this week in 1 Corinthians. By show of events, how many of you have actually made every week so far? Anybody? Is there several? Okay. Praise God. 2 Corinthians is this week. I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, right? And the head of, of the woman is what? Man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, the Word of God leaves no doubt, but that doesn't mean that the husband is supposed to strong harm or rule over his wife. That's not what it's saying here. They are supposed to be fully submitted to one another, husbands and wives, fathers and mothers. With this authority, the father has a corresponding responsibility. And this responsibility is far greater than just provision and finances and those things. If you want to know what a, what a solid biblical home should look like, a well-balanced biblical home, the father is in the role of leadership, the wife is in the role of honor, and the children are in the role of obedience. You have that going on. You have a wonderful, biblical, grounded family. The father has to provide guidance in the home. Now, with the wife together, both parties should be in prayerful agreement. Guys, one of the greatest mistakes you will ever make is when your wife says, I don't feel good about this, and you just blow through that road close sign and go anyways. You are one flesh in the sight of God. God will never lead your family to do something where you and your wife are divided. One of the greatest ways for you to measure husband or wife if something is from God, is if you're both fasting and praying and you can't, you're divided on it. That's not God every time. A hundred percent of the time, don't do it. That's like the flashing sign that says, don't do it, don't do it, don't enter, don't come down this road. You and your spouse should be in perfect agreement when you're fasting and praying if God is the one leading. Someone say a good amen. So it's not a matter of, I, I knew a guy one time, he said, he went out and bought a boat. He said his wife saw him at the boat. She pulled in. She said, what are you doing? He said, I'm buying a boat. She said, don't you think you should talk to me? He said, well, I make all the money here. I do what I want. Not good. That's a bad day at the house. He got home. He cranked that boat up. He went about 100 yards down the river. The engine went out. He rowed himself back to shore, took the boat down, something happened to the engine. He did it twice. By the third time, he took the boat back and said, God, forgive me. I'll never do something like that again without her blessing. Amen? 
We're supposed to come into agreement with one another. We're supposed to be unified. Believe it or not, we are supposed to be unified in agreement as a church. Amen? If a home fails, it is usually because a father fails to take or assume the proper responsibilities. There is no biblical order without a biblical foundation. A home must be ran by the Bible. A church should be run by the Bible. A nation should be run by the Bible. I still pray regularly. God, I pray our nation get back to the Word of God. Amen. That's what we need. So I have a few questions for you. Can a man lead a family in the ways of the Lord when his lifestyle is contrary to his preaching? Can a father command the respect of his family if if his life and conduct are opposite of what he says? One of the biggest problems that we have in the church today is you have dads setting one standard for their families by living by another standard. Creating a rule book for the children, but then saying, don't do what I do, do what I say, but that doesn't work, right? So point number one is this, fathers must lead by example, and that's not just fathers, that's all of us. Society needs to see you and I living like Christ. Amen. I've said for years, there are people in the church that say they're Christians, but their lifestyle is very contrary to Jesus. In my opinion, quit telling people you're a Christian, which means follower of Christ to be in the same way with, and just say I'm a churchgoer. Because if we're going to say we're Christians, then we need to walk like Christ. Somebody say a good amen. David gave us fathers and our parents, and as, as parents, a good example to go by. Psalm 101, 1 through 7. I'm going to show a few of the verses as I go. But Psalm 101, 1 through 7 is a beautiful picture of how we should lead at home, both fathers and mothers, and how we should lead in, lead in society as Christians. Psalm 101, 2. I love this. Watch what it says. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. I love this. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. He is saying, I will determine that my life is exemplary. I'm going to set the example. I'm going to live in such a way that you model your life after me and you'll be good. For those of you that read 1 Corinthians this week, twice there, Paul said, you guys need to imitate me. I love that. I'm going to show you how to live for Christ. I'm going to show you what being a Christian is all about. You just walk in the way I walk and you're going to be okay. I, I love that. I will walk with integrity. I will walk with character. I will walk with good godly morals. I will set the example, brothers and sisters, at work. When my workmates see my life, they will say, that's what a Christian should live like. I will model my life in the grocery stores and at restaurants. Everywhere I go in my homes, people will look and they'll say, oh, so that's how a Christian is supposed to act. That's what we're supposed to do. And David wrote in Psalm 101 there, and he said, I'm going to let my life be an example. I love that. He's saying, I'm not going to lead a, a, a double life. I'm not going to be one way at work, and one way around the fellas, and one way around the ladies, and then another way at church. I'm or at home. I'm going to be the same all the way through. Amen? My home is my temple, and I will be a priest. I will be a solid biblical example. As I referred to earlier, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He is saying, within my house, I'm going to lead my family in regular devotions, and the Bible is going to be our source of guide. Listen, our, the Bible has got to be our source of guide in our homes, in our lives, in our church. 
It is our rule book. It's our roadmap. Amen? It's not about what does society think. I don't care what society thinks. What does the Bible say? Wow. The pressure of life, he is saying, is not going to crowd God out of my house. God's going to reign supreme in my life. Amen? Watch what he says in Psalm 101.3. I, I love this. This is powerful. Guys, you need to check this out. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Everybody say nothing wicked. He was vowing he would not let anything to come into his home that was foul and wicked. If he lived today, he would basically say, there'll be no pornography in my house. There'll be no, no dirty movie channels in my house. I, I want to implore you, gentlemen and ladies, get the dirty movie channels off your TV. You're paying extra money for, for, for all that garbage. Listen. HBO, I just read this on Drudge Report. They're getting all kinds of ire. Listen, they put out a teen. Apparently, they're, they're in the process of creating a teen uh, uh, sex show where they said 30 different male anatomy parts, I'll let you read between the lines, are seen in one episode. I, I'll tell you something. That's trash. Save yourself some money. Call the cable company and say, I don't want it. Remember when I got uh, TV, they said, well, you know, for a penny extra, we're going to give you a year of Cinemax and all. I said, no, I don't want, I ain't giving no penny in. I don't want that junk in my house. Go through your TVs. Can I get practical? Go through your TVs and anything that would dare show nudity, get it off. Call them and tell them, I don't want this channel. Get it off my screen. I don't even want the chance of my 15-year-old son to be clicking innocently through and accidentally come across that garbage. I set no wicked thing in my house. Amen. Yes. Here's another one. You, I, 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 if David lived today, he would say, I'll have no obscene novels or magazines in my house on my shelves. I'll put covenant eyes on all my computer stuff and phones so there's accountability and so we can block that trash. Husbands, ask your wives. Wives, listen to me. Please, don't have them send Victoria's Secret magazines to your house. There is no mail in your house that needs to open that mailbox and see that. It is soft pornography. Don't put the mails in your house in that position. Call Victoria's Secret and say, don't send me another magazine ever to my house again. You say, man, you're a radical pastor. Yes, you don't need to give the devil an inch. No doorways. Is this good preaching? I believe it is. I'll say a good amen myself. Amen. <laughs> Fathers, when you're watching a regular channel, turn it when a risque commercial comes on. We're not going to watch that. Do you hear me? It's about protection. This is what David would do. I know David blew it with Bathsheba, but basically later in his life, he, life he's writing, he's saying, hey, this is not good. We have to protect ourselves and protect those around us. Amen. Fathers, you are responsible for having a pure home. And so are you, mothers. Don't let it in. You are not you are you are not please, fathers, do not be responsible for any sin breeding in your home. Clean it out. Get it out. Somebody say amen. 
We need Christian fathers today to stand up with conviction and a backbone and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that ain't going to happen in this house. Well, but, you know, it's at school, Dad. And, you know, I can't help what's at school, but I can help what comes through my front doors. And this is going to be a haven of the presence of Jesus Christ and a haven of the Holy Spirit and a place of peace. Amen. Man, who will stand with me and say, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. Amen. Genesis 18, 19. Watch what the Lord says here. I love this. He says, God is speaking. Listen, God is speaking about Abraham. This is God talking. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of. Wow. I have a question. Does God know this about you and I? Can God look down from heaven and say, For I know Dallas Howard. That he will command his children, his household after him. And his kids, Caitlin, Haley, and Aaron, they'll keep the way of the Lord. They'll do justice and judgment. Wow. What a question. Does God know this about you and I? Wow. Psalm 101.4, David goes on to write. He says, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. Basically, his home would be a haven, would not be a haven for wicked companions. Be careful of the company you bring in your home. Be careful of the spirit you attract to your house. Be careful of the friendships you make and in your home for monetary gain. Someone say amen. My mother used to tell me, Bad company corrupts good morals. If you read 1 Corinthians this week, you saw it in 1 Corinthians 10. Bad company corrupts good morals, and it happens 100% of the time. He said, I will not make my home a social center for wicked guests. Wow. This is a good teaching here today. Psalm 101 and 7 says, He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. His moral standards and code of life would be kept on the highest plane. He is saying he will do things with character and integrity. Now listen, in mathematics you have two basic numbers. You have integers and you have fractions. Integers are whole numbers like 2, 156. Fractions, of course, are 1 quarter, 1 half, 2 and a half. An integer is a whole number, and it comes from a Latin root meaning, which means whole or entire. Everybody say integer means whole or entire. Now watch, I'm going to get deep with you. You ready? The word integrity comes from the same root word integer. Wow. That means a person with biblical integrity, you're going to love this, cannot be divided by beliefs, or morals based on varying circumstances. In other words, integrity means it's all the way through the same, no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation, it is whole through and through. Now, I've got a challenging question for you and I today. Do you have integrity? Are you the same on Friday night as you are on Sunday morning? Do you put on a show for people on Sundays and live another way during the week? Are you giving people a front? Are you covering up what's really inside? 
Can you truly say before God, I am a person of integrity. You can see the sa- I'm the same through and through. Wow. That leads me to my second point, and that is this. Fathers must train their family. Everybody say train. Training a family is the responsibility of a father, and we are to provide mental and spiritual growth to our children. And this pattern is set down in God's word from the days of Moses. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 4.9. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. That means teach them to your children. When you have grandchildren, teach your grandchildren every opportunity you can what the Word of God says. And the Word of God goes deeper in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7. It says you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Everybody say wholeheartedly. To these commands I am giving you today. Watch this. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road. When you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Now, it's very easy to take this and say, okay, well, what do I do if I don't have a child? We're supposed to do that for people in the church. Where are the spiritual fathers and mothers that are filled with God's word to pour into new people to church and Christianity and say, this is how you live, this is the way you walk, and reproduce and teach and pour who you are into them. We need to be pouring into empty vessels. Somebody shout amen. Are you training your children in the home the Bible? Are you getting the word in? Are you praying? Are you What kind of training are you giving your family? Are you taking time with your family? Charles Francis Adams, the son of former President John Quincy Adams, grandson of former President John Adams, wrote in his diary one day, he said, went fishing with my son a day wasted. His son, Brooke Adams, also kept the diary, which is still in existence today. And he entered a journal entry on the very same day. He said, went with my father fishing today, the greatest day of my life. What his father saw as a complete waste of time, his son saw as a greatest investment of love. Time. Someone shout amen. Fathers, we're responsible to put the right teaching, training, and time with our children. Teach them not only to do the right things, but do the right things with them. Don't say, well, I'm going to go to the bar, come hell or high water, and get drunk, so I'll just start taking my son with me so, you know, we're together. Don't say, well, I'm going to go to the horse track and gamble no matter what. I don't care what anybody says, so I'll just take my daughter and teach her how to gamble with me. No, teach them to do the right things, but then do the right things with them. Somebody shout a good amen. What are some of the things you can do, the right things with them? Take them to church. Read the Bible with them. Discuss the Bible. Pray together. Do the right things with your children. Here we go. Do the right things with people in the church. Someone shout amen. I used to, when my kids were small, they're they're here, they can tell you, when they were little bitty things, man, I would, if I wanted to teach them about, you know, Jesus was in the boat and it was filling with water, man, they'd get in the bed and we'd have the lights real low and, Man, I would, I'd make the noises, you know, and, and a storm came. I know I'm blowing, you know, and they're giggling and they're laughing. And I'd take the bed mattress and I'd flop it, you know, and the boat's shaking. 
and Jesus is over here asleep. Can you imagine? That? And or if we're doing, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, I'd come and I, you know, I'm growling like I'm and I'm growling like a lion at him, and I'm teaching them all about that. Man, take time to do that kind of stuff for your kids. You say, Pastor, it's too late. My kids are grown. They'll they'll look at me funny if I start going <laughs> Probably they will. But you can ask them to join a Bible study on Uversion. You can say, hey, why don't we do a Uversion Bible study together? It's only five days. It takes ten minutes a day. Why don't we do this together? And we'll share our thoughts with one another. Somebody say a good amen. And you say, if you want to do the growling lion and all those things, okay, do it with your grandchildren. Amen. If you're not strong enough to move the mattress, get a sheet and blow it. Whatever. However you be creative. Amen. But give them the Bible. Amen. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 22, 6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me stop right here. This in the Hebrew, you know what this means? This means it's like a, it's like a, it's like a mama nursing her baby. Um, she, she has to create the appetite, right? She's got to prepare that baby so that the baby has an appetite to nurse from her. To train up a child in the way he should go means as parents, it is your duty and mine to create the desire for the ways of God. Part of teaching and training involves discipline and correction. Proverbs 23, 14. I'm not going to hammer along because I, I did this on Mother's Day. But it says, you shall beat him with a rod, basically spank him, and deliver his soul from hell. Now, I know people will say, man, that's just out there. This society thinks differently. Well, do you want to do things the way society does or the way God does? All you have to do is look at the answer society has, which is none. And every decision they make is generally wrong. I want to go God's way, amen? Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and will make your heart glad. Wow. Proverbs 22, 15, and I'll move on. A youngster's heart is filled with foolishness, but physical discipline will drive it far away. Someone shout a good amen. And finally, this is the... Most important part of the message that I feel like I'm, I'm getting to right here. Are you ready? Fathers must bless their family. Stick with me for just a minute. I want to show you two examples of what a blessing can do. A spoken blessing over someone can do. Genesis 24, 60. This is, this is getting ready to rock some of you. I'm going to tell you something. When we start learning to bless our families and those around us instead of cursing them, we're going to see God do great things. And they blessed Rebecca. Rebecca's mother and Rebecca's brother blessed her and said to her, Watch the blessing. Our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. Wow. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Leave this up for just a second. Rebecca marries Isaac, right? Abraham and Sarah's son. She is the mother of two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. One from the covenant, one that is rejected. She becomes, from this blessing, the grandmother of ten tribes of Israel. Jacob's renamed Israel. She becomes the great-grandmother of two tribes of Israel. She becomes the matriarch or the mother of Israel. She has two kids. From one of them spawns on the entire nation of Israel that are still around today. Amen. Our Jewish family right here, Marty and his family, you are part of Rebecca and this blessing. Listen to me. You've got to catch this now. Nobody could stop that. The Babylonians, Hitler, 
Palestinians and countless others have tried to eliminate them, but the blessing in Genesis 24, 60 wouldn't allow it. When's the last time you blessed your family, fathers? He said, he, she said, not only that, they said, may, your, may you possess the gates of your enemy. Let me just stop and let's just think about that for one second. Would you say that Israel possesses the gate of its enemies? Who's always trying to get the best of whom? Who's the one with all the hatred? Who's the one that hates everyone else? What, is it Israel that hates everybody else or is it everyone else over there that hates Israel? Watch this. Who is the one that's always trying to get Israel's land? You never see Israel trying to go over to Iraq saying, we want, our, we want Iraq. You never see Israel going over saying, we want Iran. It's our land. It's always the other countries coming to Israel saying, we want your land. Watch this. Israel possesses the gates of its enemies on that verse alone. How do you say that? Their thoughts, their emotions, their feelings, their passions, they are arrested with hatred towards Israel. Israel possesses the gates of its enemies. Don't tell me a blessing can't mean a lot. Those few little words, and it's still in power today. Israel doesn't lust their land or lust their death. It's the other way around. Let me show you another powerful blessing. Roman, or Ruth chapter 4, verse 11 through 12. And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. Watch this blessing. The Lord make the woman who's coming to your house like Rachel and Leah. The two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephratah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Leave this verse up for just a moment. I love it. Be, be like Rachel and Leah, not Sarah and Rebecca. Sarah had one son. Rebecca had one in the covenant. One was rejected. They built Israel. Watch this. Boaz, I want you to... The blessing says, I want you to have standing and effort, a fruitfulness. Be famous in Bethlehem. In other words, be famous in living worthily and have virtue. May she and Boaz be a pattern of virtue and effort and have a name famous in Bethlehem. May their family be blessed like the family of Perez. It's very interesting that the Bible uses Perez. Everybody say Perez. It's actually in the Hebrew, I think, Fabrez, but we're going to go with Perez because that's how it looks and, and, and it's easier to pronounce for us. Let it be very numerous. And greatly increase and multiply like the house of Perez. Bethlehemites, people from Bethlehem, were of the house of Perez. Perez was the twin son with Zara by Judah and Tamar. Now watch this. The ancestor of the two families of Judah was Hezron and Hamul, the Hezronites. From the Hezronites came the royal line of David and Jesus Christ. The people of Bethlehem blessed her, and she didn't even understand the power of that blessing was Jesus Christ was going to come through her lineage. Wow. Boaz and Ruth might have offspring as numerous as them. How many times in the Bible does it say God's going to bless your seed and bless your seed seed or bless your children or your children's children? How often did God say in the Old Testament, build monuments to remember what I did for you right here? How many times did God instruct the children of Israel to teach their children and their children's children and repeat it over and over again? Why is he doing that? Because when God blesses you, he very seldom has just you in mind. He is always thinking of future generations. And he's blessing them. One simple blessing that is still in power today. Someone shout amen. 
Ruth 4.13, the next verse says this, and I'm almost done. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception. Everybody say conception. And she bore a son. I find this interesting. Ten years with Malon, she can't get pregnant. She gets married to Boaz and is blessed and has children right off the bat. Wow. If you are barren in your life, if you're barren in your marriage, in your ministry, if you're in a place of barrenness right now, Whatever it is in your life, I want to tell you, it's not dead. It just needs to be blessed by God. There's nothing dead with God. Fathers, are you blessing your children? See, being a father is a serious responsibility, far greater than providing uh, food, shelter, and clothing. Yes, those are important, but it goes emotionally, spiritually, physically in every way. So to you children, very quickly, what is your responsibility? Every child under here under the age of 18, listen to me very closely. Watch this scripture, digest it. You have two major promises from God. Ephesians 6, 2 through 3. I've taught this to my kids over and over and over. Honor your father and mother. Why? Which is the first commandment with a promise. Everybody say promise. Are you ready? So it may go well with you. How many want to go well with you? And that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Young people. You want to live a good, long life? God said, all you got to do is honor your father and mother. What kind of father or parent do you want to be? What kind of example do you want to be for society? Have you been an example in word and deed? Is your home a biblical home? And you can say, well, it's really not been. Well, you know what? Today's the day it can change. Today's the day you can say, hey, we're we're getting this off the TV. We're cleaning house in this house. Amen. We're going to live for God. Somebody shout amen. Are you leading your family in the ways of the Lord? What about your soul? Is your heart right with God? In closing, you got to see this. Check this out. Sociologist Richard Dugdale did an ancestral study in 1877 of two men. You may have heard this before or seen it, but I'm, I'm baffled by this. If you want to know what living right before God can cause, I want you to look at the ancestry of these two men. One was a criminal by the name of Max Jukes. Everybody say Max Jukes. Max Jukes had the family trees of 42 men in the New York prison system traced back to him. Out of 1,200 of his descendants, 440 were physically wrecked by addiction to alcohol. 310 were beggars or paupers. 190 were prostitutes. Sixty of them were thieves. Seven were murderers. 150 other convicts. 300 died prematurely. Is there anybody in the house that would say, Whoo, sign me up, sign me up. Nobody in their right mind. In the same year, he took another man. And a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards. The great preacher of the early president and the early president of Princeton. He was the... The great awakening of America, he was the leading pastor and preacher of its day. He was instrumental in its first great awakening. They trace his ancestors. Are you ready? 285 college graduates, 100 clergy or ministers, 100 lawyers. Not sure if that's a good thing. Joke on you, Chris. Sorry. 80 public office holders, 75 military officers, 65 college presidents, 60 doctors, 30 judges, 13 college professors, 3 mayors, 3 governors, 3 U.S. senators, 
one dean of a medical school, one dean of a law school, one U.S. vice president, 24 authors, and a partridge and a pear tree. I have a question for you. Which legacy do you want to leave your family? The contrasting legacies provide an example of what people call the five-generation rule. Hear this. I'm closing now. Everybody tune in and listen very closely. How a parent raises their child, the love they give, the values they teach, the emotional environment they offer, the education they provide, all that goes into it. Listen, it's a five-generation rule. Influences not only their children, but psychiatrists and sociologists have proven even today, non-Christian ones, that... The way you do your children not only influences them, but four generations to follow, either good or bad. What you do now is affecting great, great, great grandchildren you will never see. So what a challenging thought. If someone studied your descendants for four generations later, what would you want them to discover? If someone did an ancestral study of your generations 150 years from now like they did Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes, which would you like for them to see? Here's the good news. Choice is yours this morning. No matter where you've been, God can redeem the times. No matter what you did, His grace covers it all. No matter where you've been, God can start you off fresh and brand new and turn that whole thing around.